Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton, Greg White here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how you doing? I'm much warmer now. Did you notice? <laughs> Man, it was a quick change. It was a quick change, wasn't it? Yeah. From the green room. <laughs> no, I'm doing quite well, Scott. How are you? Doing great. And you you weren't even channeling a little bit of Enrique Alvarez, who made the infamous uh, late entry there, one of the live streams. You can streams. do it if you want me to. <laughs> oh, good old Enrique. Well, hey, folks, today we got a great show. We're going to be talking about, uh, Greg, the power of sourcing and yeah. its ability to respond successfully and powerfully in dynamic markets like this one to truly bring value by the truckload to the table. Greg, should be a great show, right? Yeah, I'm uh, sourcing I mean, if it hadn't been a topic before, it's suddenly a topic of quite good, quite large concern these days, isn't it? That's right. And as you just how you're getting it, but where you're getting it. That's right. And whether you're getting it. Well, you know, one of the comments you've made a, a couple times, uh, especially dating back to the middle of pandemic, you know, uh, supply chain, the craft, as you put it, got a seat at the table a few years back or so. Uh, and they got to do something about it, as you like to say. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing very similarly sourcing and procurement. Uh, and those functional areas of leadership have finally have a seat at the table now as well, right? Well, I mean, often, you know, when we talk about sourcing and procurement, sometimes that's sourcing and procurement of the direct materials that go into building the stuff that's on that those shelves behind you, right? The bottles and lids for sodas and covers for books and the packaging and, and, you know, and sometimes even the componentry or raw materials of, of what makes what we buy every day. That's right. And where all that stuff comes from and how can you really leverage, leverage strategically the power of sourcing, which is what we're going to talk about a lot of here today. So a lot of good stuff. Um, so folks, welcome in. We want to hear from you throughout the hour. So use that, uh, use that, uh, the, the cheap seats as we call it, or the, uh, the sky boxes. We're in football season now, Greg, uh, we're going to be sharing those comments throughout the hour. So Greg, are you ready? Are you buckled in ready to go? All right, man, we're making highfalutin um, yeah. sound, <laughs> effects and everything. sound effects these days on Supply Chain Now. Okay, with no further ado, I want to welcome in our guest here today, Ahmed Jawani, Director of Product and Segment Marketing with Coupa. Hey, hey, Ahmed, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you guys doing? We are doing wonderful. We've really enjoyed our pre-show discussions. Uh, we we, uh, we talked a lot of baseball on the front end. We talked about food. We talked about that beautiful city over your right shoulder, which right. is Ahmed. Toronto. And how to pronounce it correctly right. as, a, as a true Canadian. Yeah. Just talking about Toronto made me cold, <laughs> so I had to put this on. <laughs> well, and so one, uh, take it one step further. So uh, as you heard, Ahmed just talked about pronou uh, pronouncing Toronto uh, correctly. Greg, we had a sim we have a similar challenge in Atlanta, right? How you just did it? You nailed it. It's not Atlanta, just like it's not Toronto, right? It's Toronto and right. Atlanta. <laughs> all ends, all ends, it's all ends. Maybe a slight D in there, you know? 
<laughs> well, hey, beyond geography, we're going to start with a fun warm-up question in just a second, Ahmed. But I want to share a few folks that are that are here with us uh, from Andre via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Um, Nathan, I believe, uh, Nilton, I believe, from Paris. What a gorgeous and wonderful world city there. Uh, he's tuned in from uh, uh, LinkedIn as well. Alfonso from the Mojave Desert in California via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Alfonso. So, folks, we want to hear from you throughout the episode. You know, comment on what um, on the whole conversation, and we'll be sharing that uh, with Ahmed and Greg. Okay. So, Ahmed, as we d- discovered, before we get into um, talking all things sourcing a lot more, we discovered in the pre-show conversations that you're a bit like us. You're, you're maybe a lot like us. You're a big foodie. So, Greg, huge, huge. huge. So Greg and Ahmed, today is National Gazpacho Day, right? Me and one of me and Amanda's favorite dishes, a delicious chilled soup, a good bit fancier than its cousin, maybe distant cousin, tomato soup. So with that as a backdrop, especially as things, as Greg mentioned, it's getting a little bit chillier. Uh, Ahmed, what is one of your favorite soups and who makes it? So, yeah, it's a good question. I would have to say I'm usually gearing towards more of the heavier soups, So like your lobster bisque or, uh, mm. you know, a clam chowder or something like that, you know, in the winter time where you can just have a nice bowl of that. It fills you up, um, you know, just really is a hearty meal. Uh, I don't know if I have a, you know, place in mind that's my favorite, but, uh, but I know you being a Seinfeld as well. We talked about, uh, you know, the lobster bisque and George, George's, uh, pursuit of that with, uh, with that on the TV show and, uh, how he was cut off from that. But yeah, he sure was. What a classic episode. All right. So Greg, and we were just talking Seinfeld last week. We had a very popular, um, uh, exchange with a guest, but Greg, what about you? Favorite soup? Uh, clam chowder, unquestionably, and with uh, celery. You know, that's okay. a big, there's a big uh, row about whether real clam chowder has celery or not. So my favorite place to get it has celery, but they also add a little bit of bacon. That's CNS right here in Atlanta. Um, but, I, of course, Boston's a great place to get Oh man, clam chowder. We need to ask Kelly Barner where her best go-to spot. So uh, I'm a, one of our hosts and friends here. Kelly Barner is from the Boston area, and we're going to have to get her input there. Uh, so we'll see. Um, yes, we right. should. So Greg and Ahmed, now that both of y'all have made me starving uh, with your great suggestions, let's get into the business of the day. And first I want to recognize, hey, Barry, great to see you here. Uh, tuned in from the UK. It's already dark here, Barry says. So maybe Barry's in the middle of dinner. So Barry, Barry, we're all foodies. Share with us what your uh, your, your meal is tonight. We'll see. So has Europe fallen back yet? I don't know if they have yet. I think they uh, fall back question. a few weeks after we do. So Interesting. Might even be six there. Ah, okay. Well, hey, you know what? We're going to find mm-hmm. out. We're going to find out. I'm going to do it right um, now. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ahmed and Greg, let's let's talk about sourcing and a lot more here today. So, but I want to start. Let's level set a little bit here. Um, you know, recent disruptions, market volatility, economic uncertainty, inflation—you name it. So much going on. Uh, Ahmed, let's start with you. This level setting. What else is top of mind, and and especially how some of those observations translate to sourcing teams and sourcing leadership. Yeah, yeah, great question. And, th- and thanks, uh, Scott and Greg, for, for having me on today. So I think, um, you know, as you were saying, just on the topic of inflation, Scott, you know, we've seen 
just record levels of inflation. We hit, I, I believe it was over 9%, you know, a couple months ago or back in the summertime. And of course, that's since kind of come down somewhat. Um, but, you know, and I think typically when people hear inflation, they tend to think about, you know, this consumer price index, CPI. But there's also, um, you know, something called the producer price index, PPI, which um, really looks at inflation from the perspective of business at a wholesale level, right? So looking at prices that are received by, you know, a producer for their output. So uh, similar to CPI, I think PPI shot up quite a bit and has since come down. But it was interesting how just overall higher input and material costs were affecting companies with physical supply chains, right? And how, of course, that was then being translated at the consumer level. Um, and then one other thing that's an interesting measurement, too, was something called the consumer confidence index, right? So with all this inflation going on and rising interest rates and, and really that index looking at um, you know, future developments of, of household consumption and, and their sentiment around just kind of general economics, um, you know, that's that's dropped significantly. I think it's at its lowest rate in about a decade. So um, all that to say that demand for goods and services is slowing and we're seeing that play out, of course. Mm, well said. Greg, our, being our chief economist here at Supply Chain Now, what, <laughs> what, would you, what would you add to what Ahmed just shared? Yeah, let me just start with my usual disclaimer. Not an economist, but as accurate as they ever are. Um, so I, I think inflation has to be the number one thing that we've seen. And it's at a far higher rate than any government uh, is reporting. And, and in a lot of cases, it's very, very targeted inflation. Eggs, Scott, we talk about all the time and you know various and sundry other things that are up. 30% and more. So it's not insubstantial. And it and it is largely driven by either the cost of the materials or of the finished products or of the transport of those products. Uh, though fortunately that seems to have come down pretty dramatically in last months. Uh, but there, I mean, there's a lot of sustained, definitely not transitory inflation um, out there. And I and and it will sustain. I mean it, I, I will go with the economists on this. They're all saying, many, many are saying that it will sustain through uh, 2023 and possibly 2024. So, Greg, you bring up an interesting point around the transportation side of things, because when we see, you know, these fluctuations in supply and demand, we're seeing just generally consumption slow down, order slow down. We've seen how that plays out in the transportation market. So even if you look at something like ocean freight, we look at like a container index mm -hmm. just for the cost of a 40 foot container, you know, around the same time last year it was hovering around, you know, the $10,000 mark. And now it's dropped to about $2,200. So like an 80% wow. drop, which is very significant. And similarly on the air freight side, you know, if you look at just any, any typical route, even just, you know, Hong Kong to the United States in terms of the cost per kilo of shipping goods, it's, it's been cut in about half, right, since the same time last year. So yeah. this is extremely important for folks on the sourcing side, especially if you manage transportation as a category, because that's this is really the time to be more opportunistic. Keep your finger wow. right on the pulse of the market. Um, and, you know, really kind of shift that mindset from maybe going to market for transportation, you know, once a year to more maybe on a quarterly basis, potentially even a monthly basis, doing more mini bids and stuff like that. Right. So very interesting. 
Agreed. And, and we're going to touch, uh, I'm going to have a follow-up question for you on kind of what you just shared there in just a second. I want to circle back. Uh, Kirsten, great to see you uh, from Seattle, one of our favorite cities. Hope you're doing well. Uh, Anna, Anna or Anna, I bet it's Anna. It's f- to confirm what we're talking about earlier. It's 5 p.m. Greenwich yep. Mean Time there. Uh, and Andre agrees with you were saying earlier about how challenging 2023 is going to be, Greg. I think I think you'd probably find a lot of agreement uh, across one of the smartest audiences in all of global business. This mm-hmm. audience here at Supply Chain Now. So Ahmed, I want to get back to your 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 point a second ago about kind of the opportunities that exist. And one of our favorite phrases around here was uttered by was it. I want to say Chris Bell, but I'm getting that name wrong, Greg. How you can find opportunities without being opportunistic. That's such a, I always loved how how well put that was. Kevin Bell, thanks yes, to me. Kevin Bell, thank you. Yeah. So, Ahmed, broader supply chain is all as you know. Uh, it, it's always asked to find more resiliency, tackle more problems, including proactively, you know, you know risk um, risk mitigation, risk management, you name it, make stuff happen. But how more and more do you see sourcing being asked to lead during these challenging times? Yeah, no, I think that's that's a you know very relevant uh, question for our discussion. You know, I think it's safe to say that procurement and sourcing leaders they're facing one of the toughest market environments potentially in their careers, right? And even if you look back before the pandemic, um, you know, we were seeing you know, just in general, just, you know, cost fairly stabilized, you know, procurement organizations were able to operate, you know, successfully, but now with the inflationary surge and, uh, you know, scarcity of critical supplies in some respects, um, Mm -hmm. it's made that traditional operating model, um, you know, increasingly um, more costly, right? And a little, and it's kind of forcing them to to switch gears a little bit, right? Um, so sourcing leaders are really being asked to lead to create additional sources of value and, and really taking advantage of, of these market shifts, these opportunities to work more effectively with, with uh, their supply base, right? It could be incumbent suppliers, new suppliers. Um, and, you know, value is a very interesting word, especially as it relates to what we talked about procurement and sourcing, because truly value is an eye of the beholder, right? It's, it's, you know, I, I know that in many, um, many viewpoints, procurement and sourcing, you know, they're, they're asked to primarily step up and lead from a cost reduction perspective, right? Where are opportunities where we can, um, you know, save costs in times of inflation, but how do you balance that with, longer term business continuity and resilience, right? Because you don't want to just make all of these extreme cuts across the board, right? I think you really want to take more of a surgical approach to, you know, if we are going to try to get to market more often in an effort to reduce our total cost, right? How do we balance that out with, again, things like just sustainability and even the supplier's ability to continue serving us as a company, uh, and making sure that potentially you even have more of a diverse supplier mix, you're looking at different regionalization strategies and so on, right? So there really does need to be a balance from that perspective. Well said. Uh, man, a lot of good stuff there. Greg, your thoughts on what uh, Ahmed just shared? Well, it's, we can't be single, uh, singularly focused on cost anymore because these, the presumption of focusing on cost is all the five most dangerous words in supply chain and procurement, all other things being equal. Mm. Um, and they never are equal. And if the pandemic didn't show us that, I don't know what would. 
Um, so, you know, we, you have to consider the resiliency we just spoke about. You have to consider the spirit of partnership that the companies that you're working with um, provide. You have to consider quality, right? The, the pace of play, all of those things. And now, particularly in the States and in, in EU and UK, you have to consider the good citizenship of your of your sources because now US companies per the SEC are being held accountable for the performance of their supply chain right their downline to quote an old amway phrase right uh, <laughs> right they they are being held responsible for the the emissions performance through the scope 3 emissions standards uh, you know and they have to report that to their shareholders it's just like their profit and loss statement now. So, um, you know, choosing your suppliers very carefully and based on multiple facets is more important than it's ever been because now it's exposed to the entirety of the world. That's right. Uh, we were just talking yesterday, uh, talking about sourcing, about all those uh, thousands of containers of solar panels sitting in ports uh, detained by U.S. Customs because we're where they're being made and getting to the bottom of that. Greg, we were just talking about it yesterday. Um, Ahmed, I want to keep going down this path, uh, but really quick, I want to uh, welcome in Glorimar, one of our favorites uh, from uh, California. Great to see you. Joshua's in one of the most beautiful cities, Asheville, North Carolina. Great to see you, Joshua. And Ashant from Mauritius. Uh, Ashant, great to have you here. Um, and y'all comment. Tell us what you think about the role of sourcing in today's uh, environment and getting through these challenging times. Um, Ahmad, both of y'all have mentioned the word resilient numerous times, right? With with meaning, not because it's cliche, but we're true. That's what that's what every supply chain is after, right? Really? Resiliency. So when it comes to strategic sourcing, how does that factor into organizations trying to become more agile and resilient? Yeah, so you know, I think we we touched on a little bit earlier around how sourcing teams and and really just keeping a pulse on what's going on in the market can allow them to, you know, to be opportunistic in some cases and take advantage again if if if, if you know cost reduction opportunities are of importance or perhaps it's even just securing critical supplier capacity in some areas, right? That the changes and the fluctuations that are going on right now allow them to do so. So getting to market faster. In response to these changes, you know, transportation rates, raw material availability, et cetera, you know, that really from that perspective, sourcing can be agile and, and really focus on, you know, speed of execution, you know, assuming that they they have a solid process or they're, they're using digital tools, et cetera. But, you know, in addition, the, the criteria that they use to make effective decisions, again, in terms of you know, looking at their supplier mix, uh, differentiating with, you know, supplier-led innovation or maximizing spend on contracts with the right suppliers. Those are what's going to lead to business continuity and resilience at the end of the day. Yep. Greg, I'm going to pull you in in just a second. I want to, I want to, um, I'm brought up the digital, the D word, right? Did <laughs> digitalization. I can never say that. It's like democratization. It just doesn't roll off my tongue like I want it to. Um, so have sourcing and procurement organizations done enough when it comes to digitalization, Ahmed? And, and if not, which is probably the likely answer, I'm assuming, what's holding them back? Your thoughts there? Yeah. So, you know, what we continue to see, Scott, is, and I think, you know, where we're at now is 
you know, folks and organizations are realizing more and more the importance of investing in, in digital capabilities and knowledge in order to to build out their their sourcing practices and their functions, right? But we do still tend to see some companies, even larger companies that are that are still highly manual or they're fraught with, you know, spreadsheets and, and inefficiencies. Um, and, you know, for those organizations, right, that really still haven't invested in the right capabilities and expertise, it, to me, it's just a matter of time, right? The function is becoming increasingly complex. These teams are being asked to do more with less. And, and that applies, by the way, whether we're talking about indirect or direct goods and services, right? It's, right. it's you know, both sides of the fence. Um, but especially as we get into more advanced sourcing requirements, right, when you have physical supply chains and, and you have to optimize decision making, you know, especially if we're, we have sourcing events that, um, you know, are very complex in scope, taking into account thousands of items, or you're working with hundreds of suppliers, you're trying to apply multiple business constraints or criteria against those decisions, things can get fairly complex, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. In a hurry, in a hurry. Uh, and, and those are things are already complex. They get even more complex. Greg, I know this is one of your favorite topics, a lot of those things that uh, Ahmed just shared. Your thoughts? Yeah, my first thought is, uh, I want to be clear about this. Spreadsheets are not digitalization. <laughs> uh, so true. Right? Spreadsheets might as well be manual. It, it, spreadsheets are are electronic notepads, right? Or 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 whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I think you have to recognize that what Ahmed is talking about is real digitalization, real agility to your point and resiliency. And, um, and that you have to recognize that you are working in an incredibly complex environment that he just talked about and, and understand that you are constantly doing this balancing act, right? Risk, Balancing is what supply chain is all about. It's essentially balancing a number of things, right? Cost, obviously, but as in the past, um, cost was pretty much the only thing we cared about because of those five deadly words. Um, but you have to recognize that cost and reliability, right? And now ethics and and speed, of course, are those things that you have to consider in supply chain. And just those four things have a number of subcategories like quality and various sundry other things that we talk about in in terms of supply chain that create the complexity that Ahmed was talking about. And that then becomes a impossible to solve combinatorial analytic exercise for the human mind. It takes technology to do that. Yeah, well said. You know, uh, speaking of spreadsheets, and I'm going to get your response here, but I, I worked with a great individual in the Air Force. Uh, uh, Greg was his first name. And Greg had a spreadsheet for everything. Uh, regression analysis, any kind of breakdown of numbers. If I needed to make a sandwich, he had a spreadsheet for that. Uh, but to your point, Greg, that is not, that's more like electronic note-taking. Uh, note uh, that, that's a great way I mean, to put it, it. It can do calculations that you can't do in your head. But part of the problem with spreadsheet is, I mean, this is why so many solutions wind up replacing spreadsheets. One, the data is disparate from the core true, you know, um, um, truth data, whatever you want to call it, the core of the data um, store, right? It still takes a lot of manual data gathering and input right. to do it. Typically, what you'll see it is this. This is so many times when 
I have seen people replace a, a spreadsheet. It takes 30 days to compile the data to grind up in a spreadsheet. And hope, hopefully somebody didn't put the stuff in the wrong cell or accidentally erase the, the formula by putting data in a field rather than, than letting the, the system calculate it. 30 days later, you've got data that is now completely obsolete because the problem you were trying to solve was 30 days ago. So um, you, you, know, you now know a month later what you should have done a month ago. And it, if you're seeing that, then you know you need te real technology to do that because that technology can grind up all that data, keep that data clean, right? Keep that data communicating back and forth between your core systems and, of course, eliminate 30 days of processing. Man. Absolutely. And, and, and Greg, just to elaborate on that quickly, and I think we'll probably touch on this later, Scott, is, you know, especially when we think about getting other stakeholders in the business, across the business, involved in sourcing decisions, if you're relying on spreadsheets, again, to try to crunch those numbers and, and have you come out to or, or really present folks with an optimal scenario... It's just it's you're not going to get. I mean, I would already I would already say that organizations are are faced with challenges in terms of getting stakeholder adoption, having their inputs in terms of sourcing decisions, right? And and that spreadsheet process is just exacerbating the issue. But mm -hmm. and and we even sometimes you know see this as well with with um, some of our prospective clients is for for those organizations that are that are um, very immature, if you will, where they may even still be using spreadsheets to actually conduct their events. So they're sending spreadsheets out to a handful of suppliers and they're asking you know, their suppliers to respond. It, we're, it's, they're really finding it difficult to drive the right behavior in terms of a supplier adhering to format, like you were saying, Greg, and not deleting mm -hmm. things or moving things around. And you know, once you're trying to collect all that data, how do you make sense of it? And so it, we definitely need to move away from that in general. Agreed. Agreed. And let's move forward for the sake of time. I want to get a couple of quick comments in here from our audience. Uh, 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 Yamini says procurement was seen as a cost saving function a bit lately with focus on cost management. The function has become increasingly important for business. And I would argue much more important for business in such scenarios, uh, how the trend today in terms of investing in procurement processes, be it digitization or getting a BSM, uh, BSM tool. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, El Moyes is talking about how Gartner, more than 50% of companies, according to Gartner, have not yet actively started to build a roadmap for supply chain digital transformation. Huge opportunity in the market. And finally, Scott, great to have you with us today once again. Going back to the soup question, it's his only fa his favorite uh, soup is his own clam chowder. All right, Scott. Shameless self-promotion. I, I got I to I try making that myself, too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm willing, I am willing to give give you a taste test, Scott. <laughs> okay. Well, right. I think Ahmed and I, we can taste test your clam chowder and determine whether it is in fact the greatest. All right. Well, Scott, um, you, you got to, we're challenging you to either share your clam chowder or your recipe. Okay. That's that we're going to throw down the gauntlet. Um, and then finally, Glormar, Glormar says, uh, air power in the air force is full of spreadsheets and PowerPoint slides. Glormar, now, I got out in 02, and so it's been a little while, but that no truer statement uh, hath been spoken. Um, okay, bringing it back, uh, Ahmed, let's go get back to the discussion. Um, I want to talk in particular, you know, we're seeing a lot of comments around optimization. Both you and Greg both mentioned optimization, optimization, critical enabler for sourcing teams. Um, 
especially when dealing with this complexity you're, you're talking about and these highly complex events, in many cases, events that we haven't seen in um, you know a generation or so. Don't be too dramatic. Um, tell us more about that. And if you see um, any tangible examples of what you're seeing, use cases that you can share about it. Sure. So, I mean, if we just keep going with the example of direct materials, right? It, when, when you go to when you go to market with a sourcing event for for those items, you're going to be thinking about attributes like you know what's your total cost, right? Including unit costs, shipping costs, right? Service levels, uh, order delivery times, uh, any indication of delivery risk if we're getting into some sort of risk assessment on the supplier, and even things like sustainability ratings and supplier diversity, and that's really just a subset, but, you know, that's that's just kind of giving you a picture, right? Um, but then if you think about some of the additional criteria that a sourcing team or a buyer may have to employ, right, for example, um, you know, rewarding the best performing suppliers or potentially awarding business to a, a minimum of five suppliers or so, or even something a little more complex, like only award up to a maximum of 80% of a supplier's capacity so that they're never struggling to reach 100% throughput, right? All of these things can become constraints on a bid or a set of bids. But then we think about supplier-led innovation, giving the suppliers the ability to come to the table with creative offers. You might come up against things like uh, bundled offers or tiered pricing early payment discounts, uh, or even things like alternative materials or specs, right, that can usually still satisfy the end needs or the end product for the potential customer with just a slightly different mix, right? So with all of this taken into account, you can imagine the number of permutations and combinations that a sourcing team could come up against. And again, trying to evaluate these things with such complexity, it goes far beyond the realm of spreadsheets. Uh, and it's and it's going to take far longer, and it's going to yield suboptimal results, right? So, so that's why solutions, especially from an optimization perspective, they allow you to work with all of these data points using optimization techniques. You know, where you can even create scenarios to understand, you know, what's the impact of moving forward um, with a specific sourcing decision, right? So, and you know, we have clients as well, just in terms of. Um, you know, who are using, you know, more uh, sophisticated combinatorial optimization techniques, right, to evaluate bids and, and down-select suppliers. Um, and, you know, really just by embracing, um, you know, some of those tools and those processes, many are experiencing great value, uncovering, you know, double-digit percentage savings, of course, and also having that translate to other benefits in terms of overall supply chain resiliency, risk mitigation, et cetera. Um, and, uh, you know, I won't I won't go too far into the weeds here because I know we want to make sure that we're staying tight on time. But, you know, again, we work with, uh, for example, manufacturers on sourcing, you know, transportation capacity and, and making sure that they're they're able to take into account really what is important for, for their business in terms of constraints, having that factor into their decision making, um, you know, and again, both direct and indirect tenders. Um, so across the board, really, companies that embrace those types of solutions and strategic sourcing in general, they save time and money. They have the opportunity to create more value, not just for their customers, but even in comparison to their competitors as well. Okay. Uh, Greg, we covered a lot of ground there and, and, and offered up some tangible examples. Some of your thoughts are Greg. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it all really starts with sourcing, whether you're sourcing indirect materials or... Um, you know, 
whatever security for your right for your plant or whatever it is. I mean, it, it all starts with that because that is the foundation of everything that you build upon. And and you have to recognize that there is again, more than cost there. And I think just like supply chain has now come to the forefront since the great toilet paper shortage of 2020, (laughs) um, that procurement has, has likewise, because everybody now, um, I shouldn't say everybody, you guys in procurement, probably still enjoy a little bit more anonymity, but um, many, many people recognize that, that those that it, at least in some aspects, procurement and supply chain are inexorably tied, right? You can't build plastics without the raw materials to create plastics, things like that, right? You can't, you can't bottle Coke without bottles. And, and because of that, that, the brand identity, the brand esteem, the brand equity of every single company is at stake based on their sourcing decisions. It's not just a cost line issue anymore. It never was, right? by the way. I think it's just become more and more recognized that that's the case. And because that awareness exists now outside of the enterprise um, among we uh, consumers, Right. And, and other other constituencies outside the four walls of the company, you have to recognize that every decision you make regarding sourcing is a decision to 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 alleviate or create risk for your brand identity. Yep. Well said. And, and Ahmed, do you get the impression that Greg is using all my background images like the Coke bottle there for in many of his answers? All right. Well, hey, Very really quick. In his approach. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of good comments in in the chat. So um, uh, we're not going to get all of them, but I want to uh, get quick shout out to Wallace. Wallace, great to have you here today via LinkedIn. Appreciated your social share the other day of, of uh, mm-hmm. uh, one of our messages. So I hope this finds you well. Uh, okay, so Ahmed, let's talk sustainability. Uh, that ESG has all come up. Uh, supplier diversity, you mentioned, really important. Uh, so many different priorities in today's world of sourcing some so many of the constants like greg alluded to a second ago but also so many new priorities um, that's really shaping industry so how are you seeing ahmed sustainability factor into key sourcing decision criteria you know again given the focus as of more recent has been on you know the proverbial old-fashioned cost reduction and savings opportunity still important but sustainability is has really grown in priority right Absolutely. And and as Greg was saying, you know, sustainability and ESG pressures are coming from pretty much every angle, right? It's not just, right. um, you know, even customers that want to buy from companies that have a set of high standards from an ESG perspective, but employees that are wanting to work for companies who are doing good. Um, and then, of course, we have, you know, more government mandated legislation that's that's um, continuing to uh, to surface. We actually, uh, Coupa recently did a survey. We went out and, and surveyed about 800 uh, business leaders. And about 90% of them said that cutting emissions was extremely important to them, followed by you know eliminating things like modern slavery and improving supplier diversity. So across the board in general, this is a huge focus area. And when thinking about how this translates into sourcing events, you know, as I kind of mentioned earlier, Riz, it is really about balancing the overall objectives and targets of an organization from a sustainability standpoint, and then marrying that with other critical areas, you know, again, such as cost reduction opportunities, right? And I think sustainability objectives 
you know, throughout the tendering process, they can be incorporated in a few different ways, right? We can think about it in terms of determining specifications as part of an RFP, for example, where incorporating you know, environmental and social environment highlights to the suppliers the importance of sustainability, right, to both that company and then that future contractual relationship with that supplier. And then, of course, you know, at the selection stage, um, you know, when you have specific selection criteria um, together with related um, scoring and weightings, being able to sufficiently collect information and ensure that you're, you know, you have a thorough and consistent assessment of the sustainability commitments outlined in the supplier's uh, bids and proposals, right? And we, of course, work with clients that have key sustainability questions that they incorporate as part of their tenders, um, you know, things like CO2 emissions and other sustainability factors to make more informed award decisions. And then, of course, to track those sustainability commitments over time. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm hearing the word holistic in a lot of your answer, uh, Ahmed, you just shared. And I know uh, Glorimar is bringing that point of view. We'll try to share that comment in a second. Greg, uh, what did you hear there uh, when it comes to sustainability, some of the impact on sourcing that's happening? Well, I think we have, you know, one of the things that we have to recognize is that, it, is that it's not a zero sum game, much like in, again, I'll refer to supply chain, or you even address this with sourcing. It, it's not necessarily that that better vendors uh, equal higher cost, right? That that resiliency that you provide, that a vendor might provide, doesn't necessarily have to come at a higher cost. Likewise, uh, ESG uh, performance or compliance doesn't have to come at a higher cost or at the risk of quality or reliability or speed. They are, um, you know, they can all, it's a combinatorial optimization, as Ahmed talked about earlier, right? They can all have some place in you know in the um ecosystem and i think it's important to recognize that because esg has become so important whether you like it or not it has become so important that it is something that you have to consider because just i mean just imagine that you don't consider it and something dramatic happens like like you are found and you know i just saw an article from a buddy who uh it, you know is hyper aware of this that that a lot of products in the automotive industry come from Xinjiang province where we know virtually all of the labor is slave mm. labor, right? So um, imagine that you're GM and found to be using slave labor for whatever parts it is you get from Xinjiang province and um, the damage that that can do to your reputation. Just, I mean, not unlike cybersecurity, right? I mean, we still talk about Target and their, cybersecurity failing that happened almost a decade ago from just one small little mishap. Yeah. Right. Well said, you know, and Tim Nelson, you to carry out that, that example a little further, you were just sharing there, Greg, Tim Nelson with hope for justice, who leads that nonprofit doing great work, uh, battling, uh, modern slavery and human trafficking. And, and I'm a paraphrase. It's not when you find it, it's not, uh, if you find it, it's when you find it, what are you doing about it? That's the that's the big question for leadership. So uh, uh, I'm going to have to get you looking hard enough to find it. Also, that's good, because good point. I think a lot of companies, I mean, and I can't blame them. They benefit from cognitive dissonance, right? Mm. We don't look too hard. We won't find it. But now they really have no choice. I mean, the mm. SEC, the EU and the UK have compelled them to find those issues in their supply chains and to do something about it. 
welcome development for sure. Um, Ahmed, I'd love to get your take on whether, um, um, you know, Greg's comments, our comments there, and then we're going to talk about other stakeholders. But your your sure. quick comment before I, I go in that direction. Oh, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with what Greg was saying. I mean, that's where we also kind of get into the, the topic of, of just third-party risk management in general, right? And, and truly understanding not just our suppliers, but our supplier suppliers as well. What is that overall kind of nth tier network look like and are they adhering to you know just in general the overall targets from a sustainability from a risk perspective of the organization and i think those you know supplier potential risks and those risk assessments are essential as part of um you know your sourcing strategy and your sourcing events overall so so true uh so true you got to look at um uh, that supplier suppliers you can't just stop at the the next tier up um i'll share a couple of quick comments and i'm gonna come get back to other stakeholders here i want to go uh t squared who holds down the fort force on youtube says procurement and supply chain are conjoined twins to separate would be precarious to any business operation and he says parentheses captain obvious statement so love that um and glormar still needs to be said yeah it does captain obvious statement so true <laughs> Glormar says, I really believe that the lack of holistic view of procurement, supply chain, and the newer sustainability made many companies less competitive and was also a constraint during the toilet paper era. Uh, well, good said. Uh, well said there, uh, Glormar. I agree. Um, okay. So let's get back to, we're just talking about kind of sustainability's impact, um, but other stakeholders. Uh, uh you know, speaking of holistically, uh, when it comes to other stakeholders, how are their inputs being factored into decision criteria and sourcing award evaluations, Ahmed? Yeah, and I think, you know, companies have a little more to do in this regard, right? We definitely see room for improvement in terms of, again, stakeholder adoption and getting stakeholders involved in the process. You know, we think a best practice is really for relevant business stakeholders to be included in the sourcing process from the beginning when you're thinking through kind of overall business drivers for the event and your sourcing strategy, including how you're and you're going to ultimately make a final award decision. Because if that's not something that you collaborate or align on from the get-go, it's going to make the downstream process extremely tricky and time-consuming, right? Um, and, and not only to kind of help align on drivers for an event, but also how does that kind of inform the overall design and approach of a sourcing event, right? In terms of critical information capture. That's necessary to make important decisions, um, you know. And of course, you know, when it comes time to collect information from suppliers, um, you know, even work with stakeholders to give suppliers feedback on areas that they can improve on, and then also ultimately coming down to a scoring process, um, you know, and making that process repeatable so that stakeholders actually want to and see the value in participating in events going forward is extremely important and, and really something that's. That's really possible when you when you digitalize a process uh, properly. So. Mm. Greg, more uh, sounds like me. Uh, more goodness uh, from the whole digitalization movement. Uh, some of what Ahmed shared there. Your thoughts? Yeah, that and this and again this compelled transparency. Right? Uh, you know, you you said multi tier. It's n tier. N tier is what we love to call stuff in technology. That means more than two or three tiers. And, you know, there's there are companies that have seven, eight tiers, maybe more of of suppliers, some they never meet because they're a supplier of a supplier of a supplier of a supplier of a supplier. Right. And now, again, they are responsible for those people that they would otherwise never meet. So, yes. 
um, it's, you know, it's uh, an important part of creating your ecosystem. And this rating notion is, is going to be very, very important from a number of aspects. That's right. So I think that digitalization, digitization, one of those two words really <laughs> helps you stuff. get down to that nth tier and, and um, you know, provide some, some visibility and transparency and um, an insight to where all these people stand, which yep. I think might, some people might find a little bit scary once they get right. down. You know, whenever I hear the in tier uh, phrase, it always takes me back to sixth grade algebra class. Uh, Mrs. Hokinson, one of the smartest and best teachers ever had. Man, you remember your teacher's name? Oh man, she helped. <laughs> she helped me solve that one train's leaving Chicago and one train's leaving Toronto and when you know two hours, all that stuff. Mrs. You should be given a Nobel Prize for that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, all right. Back to I digress. Uh, Ahmed, let's talk about. Um, I think one of the favorite, my favorite questions I want to ask you here today, because really you and Greg have been speaking to this as well as some of our commenters in in on so many different ways. So let's talk about the level of collaboration. What's it like currently between sourcing and the supply chain function overall? Is there room for improvement? And if so, how can technology facilitate that? So it's kind of a three-part question. Kind of talk to the collaboration as is. What opportunities exist and how can technology address it? Yeah, great question. So I think there certainly is opportunity, right? And what's great is the last couple of comments that, that you raised here from the audience, Scott, we're talking through how really recognizing the importance of, of procurement and sourcing and supply chain coming together to be more resilient moving forward. And of course, in some cases, this was a um, a shortcoming in the pandemic, if you will, right? There wasn't as much of a, um, you know, a tight uh, collaboration between those functions. Um, but, you know, when you think about if you don't align sourcing across other business functions, even just the broader supply chain function in general, you know, your organizations, they're going to they're gonna lose opportunities, they're going to lose out on value, and they're going to lose out on money at the end of the day, right? And and even if you take something like ESG and sustainability, like we've been talking about today, those responsibilities and decisions related to those areas, they don't lie within the four walls of supply chain or procurement alone, right? They, these departments must collaborate on that overall strategy, right? And I would also say that in general, just, um, you know, source to pay cycles and even just broader supply chain design and planning areas, they're becoming more increasingly intertwined because they got to be able to adapt the change while staying connected. So for example, you know, you may have a, you know, a supply chain that's built out from a, from a design and planning perspective, right? But you may notice in that model that, hey, there is a significant opportunity for us to either secure transportation to um, bring, you know, a new product to market or, or help kind of inventory flows to, you know, to another market, right? And how do you then connect that to something like sourcing, right, where you're now communicating with that team and say, okay, we now have to go to market, you know, with these transportation routes and lanes and go secure that critical capacity so that we're almost doing this exercise of, of continuous optimization, right? Going, having that strong collaboration and time between those teams. So, you know, the short answer is there's certainly um, opportunity to do more there. And of course, technology can can facilitate that collaboration, those decisions, and even just in general, speed to execution right between those functions. 
Uh, well said. Tons of opportunities there. Greg, when you think of the current state uh, of collaboration between these functional areas or these, these different areas of the business and opportunities and how technology can address it, what are some thoughts that come to your mind? Well, I think it depends on the segment of supply chain that you're talking about, but I think we're predominantly today talking about manufacturing, which is decades and decades behind the level of collaboration that retailers and distributors have between sourcing and supply chain. And, and that's where I started my career, and I found it to be unbelievably beneficial, right? You know, you start, you start having these discussions about suppliers that are nameless, faceless, many, and and you know, you say, hey, I like the pr- I like the per unit deal we got here. But somebody in sourcing says, yeah, but they want you to buy a full truckload, not be able to buy a pallet at a time for that price. And this vendor allows us to invest less in, in held inventory by buying at the same cost or even slightly higher, but in a much, much smaller time supply and quantity which allows us to reduce cost overall. Instead of looking at, we're going to use that word again, holistic. Instead of looking at that singular cost analytic, can you hear that? Um, <laughs> getting a little trim in the backyard. Yeah, good timing, guys. They're uh, a day late. Um, instead of looking at that singular cost analytic, it allows us to look at the complete picture, right? And and ha- this collaboration accrues to the benefit of the entire organization at a much, much higher level than the few pennies that we might pay per unit or yep. per shipment or whatever. Agreed. And, of course, consumers win, right? Consumers win. Um, all right. Uh, I'm going to share just a couple of quick comments here, and then I'm gonna, we're going to make sure everyone knows all three people that don't know uh, what Koopa does, Ahmed. Uh, Kamisha, uh, going back to uh, uh, modern slavery, agrees with me. It's when you find it, what leadership does about it. Suppliers, supplier transparency. That's a great phrase. Risk balancing, risk management, all critical. Uh, Kamisha says, we saw mishaps in this area with several big FMCG companies over the past few years. Great to have you here today with us, Kamisha. Agree with you. Um, okay. So, Ahmed, uh, Koopa has been on the move quite a bit in recent years. So again, for the three people out there that may not know what Coupa does, uh, in a nutshell, what does what does Coupa do? Yeah, so Coupa is a leading provider of, of business spend management solutions within areas like supply chain and, and procurement and finance, where we help organizations maximize the value of every dollar that they spend. Um, and and really, my team uh, specifically, we work with our prospective customers and existing client, clients to understand really how to leverage and apply our technology to solve various supply chain challenges. So with all of the you know, disruptions that have occurred and disruptions that will continue to be on the horizon, um, you know, we've certainly helped uh, many organizations out in this regard and many who are benefiting uh, with the help of our technology. That is right. And Greg, uh, Ahmed is one of our new faves. But uh, Madhav uh, Durba is one of our longstanding faves. We had, had some great conversations with him. So uh, I'm going to please uh, uh, give a high five to all the members of the Koopa team, especially as we march through the end of the year. Hard to believe it's December 6th sitting here today. Oh, gosh, um, I can't believe it. It's, it's unbelievable. It's still a lot to do. So speaking of end of year, 
you brought some gifts for our, our global family here at Supply Chain Now. Um, we're going to talk about two white papers, one that's already out, and I think we've got a graphic for here. Uh, this white paper, Threading the Supply Chain Needle, How to Break Down Silos to Build Resilience and Sustainability. And hey, that goes straight to that last question about fomenting effective, successful, and new levels of collaboration between the different functional areas. But speak to this, Ahmed, and then we're going to talk about one of the newer white papers coming out. No, I think you, as you summarize that nicely, Scott, I mean, this ebook here is really um, focusing on how do you really um, look at, you know, and, and drive kind of collaboration between sourcing and supply chain, other areas of the business, because driving resilience is a team sport at the end of the day. And, and really, this is a nice kind of summary of our point of view on that topic, but also sprinkles in um, some great customer examples and uh, really some thoughtful steps that organizations can take, again, to help really thread that needle, if you will, and, and kind of break down silos between those areas. Well, and I love this phrase, building resilience and sustainability is certainly a team sport. Love it. So folks, uh, it's free to download. Uh, we've got the link. I think we've our team has dropped the link here. Uh, you can get that uh, white book there. Also, you can learn more about Coupa at Coupa.com. But wait, Greg. There's more. So, Ahmad, uh, we've got a new white paper coming out really soon. Tell us quickly about that. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that'll be available uh, this week, and we'll, we'd be happy to send that as a follow-up um, to, the, to the attendees here today with us, Scott. But really, that's focusing on how do you really take advantage of optimized sourcing in these dynamic markets that we're in. So really kind of a great summary, touching on many points of our conversation today, again, with some kind of thoughtful approaches and recommendations that, that companies can start to incorporate as part of their sourcing strategy. And again, really understand, especially in areas like optimization, how that can help them in terms of efficiency, collaboration, better decision-making. So really, really a great asset that'll be coming soon and we'll distribute that out. Wonderful. Uh, and check this out. Uh, Yamini, great to have you here, by, by the way, says, as a Cooper a Coupa customer, absolute, absolutely delighted to see the impact Coupa is creating and the way the tool is evolving. How about that? Uh, that's got to make uh, make your day, huh? It totally makes my day. Thank you for the comment, Yamini. That's, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, really, really great to work with with uh, with happy customers and seeing some of that, that validation today in our discussion. So. I bet. Okay. So Greg, while we still have Ahmed, we're about to make sure folks know how to connect with him. What's uh, whether it's the white books, the re white papers, resources, uh, happy customers, Greg, what's on uh, this last uh, tell uh, uh, end of our conversation? What's one thing that stood out? Well, I think that, you know, that in, in procurement and in sourcing that it's more about more than cost and, I think we talk a lot about that, but we really have to recognize and reinforce that with the actions and the expectations of management. And a lot of that comes from the grassroots. We have to continue in our day-to-day -day jobs to, to push that message up, right? Because I think we all recognize that management wants to do the right thing, but when it comes down to it, it's easy to lose sight of that grand and noble vision when you're down in the weeds talking about cost. And I think we have to do kind of what I described before. We have to identify here is the alternate cost of not doing X, right? Of uh, here's, the, here's the potential cost of not being sustainable or, or doing business with slave traders or mm. whatever. And, and that is upon each of us in the operation to quantify that. 
and to present that back to management so that it is constant. Look, they deal with numbers all day long. They have to present those numbers to the internal and to the external constituencies of the company. And we have to arm them with information that allows them to, to make those uh, justifications. Well said, Greg. I can't agree more. Ahmed, how can folks connect with you? Obviously, folks can learn more about Coupa at Coupa.com, but how can they uh, connect and uh, uh, compare notes with you about all the cool things going on across not just global supply chain, but specifically sourcing and procurement? Yeah, no, I would encourage uh, folks to please connect with me on on LinkedIn. I believe I, I shared my LinkedIn with you, Scott, and we can hopefully post that as well. Um, but happy to um, yeah, get connected with folks, um, you know, even have, uh, you know, one-on-one conversations with any of you that are more interested in Coupa and, um, you know, would be happy to just kind of take the discussion further. Wonderful. And talk food, right? And talk food, for sure. <laughs> That's a critical All right. piece. Well, hey, uh, big thanks, Ahmed. I really enjoyed our chat here today. Big thanks to Ahmed Jawani, Director of Product and Segment Marketing with Coupa. Thanks so much, Ahmed. Thank you for having me. You bet. Man, Swoosh is on the money here today. Indeed. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and folks. I'm going to have to do a little bit of procurement <laughs> collaboration right here. Do you mind if uh, I yell out the window real quick? I'm just uh, please go. That, that'd make my day. <laughs> um, hey, by the way, connect with Ahmed. Uh, you're going to enjoy chatting with him, uh, seeing the content they share. Uh, trust me, the, the, the same Ahmed you see here in front of the camera is the same one behind the camera. So great guy. And do that. And by the way, yes, the swoosh waits for no one. That is so true. And Jose, hey, I appreciate that. Um, amazing discussion. Man, you don't hear that every day. Uh, but hey, between Ahmed and Greg and all the great comments, gosh, uh, Yamini uh, and all their others, I thought it was a very intriguing and informational discussion as well. Appreciate your feedback. Okay, Greg, I've kind of already asked you for your final thought. I just wanted, yeah. as we uh, about to sign off here, I just wanted to kind of echo uh, and double down. It's not 1982, folks. Sourcing and procurement, the organizations that are only using all of that immense talent just to drive down costs is so short-sighted, so, so old-fashioned. Uh, get with the times and unleash the power of sourcing and procurement. And with that, Greg, before I sign off, I'm going to give you the last word here today. Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to recognize is that each of the tiers of supply chain, I generally call those manufacturing, you know, sourcing, manufacturing, uh, distribution and retail, they can learn from one another. And a lot of these lessons have been learned and applied in retail before. And I think we have a we have sort of inverted the curve in terms of where we ought to be learning from. Because manufacturers have all the money and they get all the consulting dollars, people project that they are far more advanced. But the fact is, I mean, after decades and decades of study, they are far behind the times mm. of retailers largely because retailers have very tight margins. They are and have been for centuries, literally centuries, customer facing. So they are used to facing that constituency that manufacturers are just coming to face now. And because they have had all of the risk of carrying inventory foisted upon them by the manufacturers since literally the beginning of time. Hmm. So that the, literally, right? I think about the markets of the old days. Um, <laughs> the brontosauruses always were driving right, procurement right, and sourcing right. decisions. I always think about that scene in Aladdin <laughs> where they're kind of sailing through the, right. the market. Um, Agrabah. Um, 
But because of that, they have had to become very, very efficient. And there is a lot that manufacturers can learn from the efficiencies between sourcing and supply chain and other aspects of the business that retailers have. And I wish more uh, manufacturers and brands would reach out to and confess their need for knowledge and and pick it up and learn it because it would accelerate things dramatically in terms of broader procurement and supply chain advancement. So true. So true. And and we're going to leave it there here today. What a full session. Thanks for everybody's feedback. Thanks for everybody's participation. There's a lot of of gold there in the comments. And of course, big thanks to Ahmed for being here with us today and the whole Koopa team. I love what they're doing and, and the good change they're driving across industry. Greg, always a pleasure to knock out these conversations with you. Likewise. Appreciate it. You bet. Hopefully folks enjoyed this conversation as much as we have. And with that said, Scott Luton challenging you, our entire supply chain now team, challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now.